Welcome to PageCast, the book-centered podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Ball Publishers. In this episode, the award-winning and internationally best-selling South African author, Lauren Bierkus, chats with Sam Bickbessinger and Del Halverson, co-authors of Girls of Little Hope. Girls of Little Hope is a chilling and eerie tale of monsters, teenaged angst, and small-town America. For fans of Stranger Things, The Thing, and the 1990s, three girls went into the woods. Only two came back, covered in blood and with no memory of what happened. Or did they? Enjoy this episode of PageCast. Hi, I'm Lauren Bukas. I'm the author of The Shiny Girls in Zoo City and The Forthcoming Bridge, and I am so excited to be interviewing two of my best people in the entire world, Sam Bessinger and Dale Halverson, who have written the most amazing book called Girls of Little Hope. It's this incredible, dark, suspense thriller about three girls who go into the woods and only two come back. Um, I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but let me introduce the people I'm interviewing. Sam Bessinger is the author of the best-selling How to Manage Your Money Like a Fucking Grown-Up, which is the book we all need. She's written an interactive story about climate change called Survive the Century, and it was featured in New Scientist and Gizmodo. Uh, she got a whole bunch of like, really interesting contributing writers to get involved with that. She teaches creative writing at Bath Spa University. She has also written kids' TV and picture books. She once wrote for Marvel, and she is weirdly obsessed with spreadsheets. It's a bit disturbing. Dale Halverson, I've known for over 20 years. He is an award-winning cover designer. He's done the covers for a lot of my books, a lot of other people like Nadia Korafor. He is an incredible illustrator. He's also a comics writer. We co-wrote a Vertigo comic called Survivors Club with art by Ryan Kelly and Inyaki, which was a huge hit, and that was fantastic. Dale is also a massive horror nerd, and it seems really fitting that this book came out of you very, very twisted brains, you guys. Can I just say, Lauren, I basically want to take you around everywhere with me as my hype man and just get <laughs> to introduce you in yep. all contexts. You just make me sound like a much cooler version of me. <laughs> Lauren Perfect. is the best hype man. Uh, I, you know, you guys can pay me for this. But honestly, like, I love this book so much. It's, I mean, I know you guys are some of my best friends in the world, but this book is so beautiful and horrifying and also so full of heart. And it's kind of fundamentally about friendship. So as we're all friends, I wanted you guys to talk about friendship and how this book came about. How did you end up working together? It's not a thing that a lot of people do is kind of end up writing a novel together. So let's talk about your friendship and then how this process worked. Where would you like to start, Sam? Well, I mean, I think, yeah. So Dale and I have been friends for a couple of years now. Uh, a lot of our friendship involves uh, Carrie Vicky. Um, a lot of our friendship also involves just uh, sharing in our, our, our nerdery, right? And, and we watch a and lot of horror movies. Exactly. So we watch a lot of, of horror movies together. The worse and more ridiculous, the better. And there was a specific scene, like a blink and you miss it scene uh, in a specific 1970s horror movie, which I can't mention because of spoiler reasons, yeah. that I know we spoke about a lot um, as being kind of something that we riffed off, uh, became kind of part of the core idea of this book. Um, but I mean, I think I think for for both Dale and I, like both of us grew up in places where we felt like just total weirdos. Both of us are very weird people, and I think one of the greatest joys of my life has been finding other weirdos. It's just so much fun when you, you meet someone who you can just riff with and vibe with and play make-believe with. And I just feel like for me, I, I never grew out of that. 
like, I mean, Dale, you've collaborated on a few projects, right? So also, is it, is it your favorite way to make things? I love collaborating on projects. And it's an absolute joy finding someone who complements your skills. And I think when it comes to you and I, I, I think we filled in the gaps for each other. I'd like to pick up on that and talk a little bit about that. So Dale, when I was working with you on Survivors Club, which is also a, it's a horror comic, where I found you were just absolutely brilliant was you have this incredible sense of like plot and this deep, deep, deep well of horror notary, which goes far beyond, you make me feel like kind of a rank amateur. Also, Dale, like your dialogue is like absolutely incredible and like so witty. Uh, I remember in Survivors Club, I kept having to tone you down because you just wanted to make... It was too witty. It was too many jokes, too many no, good puns. <laughs> Absolutely. Can you talk about how you guys work together? What are your various strengths? Uh, I, I'd like you to talk about each other, please. So Sam, uh, what did you love about working with Dale? And Dale, what did you love about working with Sam? Let's start with Sam. Oh my God. I mean, yeah. I mean, you've mentioned many of the things that I, that I most love about working with Dale. I mean, I think firstly, yeah, Dale just has this unbelievable understanding of genre because he, he has, I think has watched every single movie that has ever been made in the whole history of movies, right? I haven't, um, but thank you. <laughs> it feels like it. And I think it's really good at like deconstructing how stories work and understanding like these are the rules that, you know, make this sort of thing work. And then it just has this diabolical ability to subvert them and do just the least expected twisty thing. So, and also like one of the things I love about working with Dale, so he just has this sort of deep well of knowledge and insights. Um, he's very funny, as you say, but he also just has this very rigorous brain um, in a way that I don't. Like, I, I feel like often when I, when we're writing together, I'm kind of like bashing through the darkness and I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm kind of just like throwing yeah. mud around. And Dale, it was so great because basically I would go and do a lot of that kind of, I, I don't know, often get myself wheel spinning. Sam and Dale, would... in the meantime, would have been like perfectly plotting, like where every single character actually was at every second of the timeline. It was so helpful. <laughs> like rescuing Sam would me. create so many problems. Uh, I know Vince Gilligan on Breaking Bad said, said this, that they enjoyed writing themselves into a corner. Sam was very good at that, <clears throat> but <laughs> that gave me more work. And I think together, I think that made the story and the characters particularly better mm. because not only do I like genre bending for plot, but also for character. And I think there's a lot of that in Girls of Little Hope. You'll be surprised from page one to the end. And uh, I guarantee anyone who reads it will not predict where it's going, uh, both for the characters and for the book. I love that about the book, that it just kind of subverts these expectations. Um, and I, I think what's really interesting is you know, because you're, you're so steeped in, in genre and like, you know, it, so you know exactly where people are going to expect things to go and you know how to undermine those expectations. But so much of the book is so much very character driven. And I want you to talk a bit more about that. Can you talk us through the main characters? Um, and, and who was the most fun to write? Who do you miss? Yeah, sure. I mean, okay. So really there are these three 15 and 16 year old girls who are the, the heart of the story. Uh, there is Donna, who's kind of the, the rebel with a heart, uh, who, you know, all she wants to do, she's obsessed with riot girl bands and she has absolutely no ability to do what she's told, but she is incredibly loving and very empathetic, kind of despite all of her tough exterior. 
Um, there is Ray, who grew up in an ultra conservative uh, fundamentalist household yes. uh, and felt every day like she had to wear a mask of who she to mask who she actually is. And the only people who she could really be herself around and and feel accepted by were her two two best friends. And then there's Kat, who um, is, so she has uh, her mom Mary Beth, who's the fourth point of view character had her when she was quite young had a, her mother had a very very difficult life and upbringing and i think a lot of that difficulty played out in their relationship and meant that uh you know mary beth when when cat was a was a child uh, put her in the beauty pageant scene the child beauty pageant scene um and cat's way of rebelling against that was to was to get fat and i think it was it was really important for for both of us, I think, writing a character where fatness was was something she loved about herself and something that gave her and, power. And, that, and was reviled in the 90s. It, totally. It, it, it wasn't the time for that. Those people yeah. were marginalized. God, there was so much fat phobia. Yeah. Um, so Kat, uh, she wants to be a writer. She's a kind of deep bookworm nerd. Huge um, Nancy Drew fan, and that's where Donna gets her band name from, the Nancy Screws. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think like part of what was so joyful about writing the book was, you know, we spent a lot of time trying to out, outwit each other. I think is kind of that's that's the fun of a mystery. And the, the, the mystery elements is like, can you surprise surprise each other? Because you can probably surprise the reader. Um, but with the character stuff, a lot of what we we did was just have these really long, very vulnerable conversations about our, our own teenage years and kind of the things that were the most difficult, but also the most joyful for us. And, you know, I think for me, like I grew up in Centurion and I was a really weird <laughs> teenager, um, but I I found my people, you know, and and that made me feel that that's the only reason I kind of survived growing up in that really conservative place. And I think for Dale, you know, a little bit of a, of a spin, but similarly, friendship was kind of essential growing up as a teenager, right? Yeah, I, I think you said um, they help you grow up without growing less weird. That was my personal experience. The three characters as well are so different. You'd think, why would they hang out together? What does connect them on a friendship level? And that was really fun to explore in the book, their relationship and how they saw each other through each other's eyes. Like for me personally, I want to be Donna. I, I, I want to have the handmade Babes in Toyland t-shirt and the Doc Martens. But unfortunately, I think I'm more Ray uh, with the conservative family and uh, having to mask and hide yourself. Um, so I, th I think there's a bit of both of us, Sam. I don't know if you definitely agree. And in all three of them, but I think mm -hmm. uh, you would probably be Kat. I, I don't know. Well, I, yeah, I think you actually said it. I think it feels like all three of the characters, even all four of the characters, right? It's almost like there's a there's a prism and we refracted our personalities through the prism into these four characters and they've all got little bits of us, of both of us, right? And of our dearest friends growing up. And yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, it's, yeah, you, I think you relate a lot to to Donna and Ray. I definitely relate a lot to Cats. I, re I relate to all of them, right? Like they, I think you, they're, 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 they're our little, our little fictional babies. <laughs> I love the expression of like it being a prism that you're kind of refracting and reflecting parts of you into. I always talk about characters as being kind of a, you take a seed of some 
aspect of you and you grow that into a tree and that becomes the person. So I think your characters should absolutely reflect aspects of you, even the worst parts. Being a very good friend, I know a bit about where this book came from, from both of you. And if you're okay with it, I'd like to talk about some of the more personal stuff uh, before we get into the fun 90s and kind of the research and everything like that. Dale, I know you grew up in a very kind of fundamentalist religious background in a very small town. How was that for you? And how were you able to use the characters to kind of explore that? And and maybe was it an exorcism of a kind to be able to get out some of the stuff that you lived through? be able to write through it? Uh, yes, it was. It was a, there were two things I was dealing with, and this was this what you've mentioned is one of them. And I think through these characters, I was able to deal with some of the stuff that I had been grappling with my entire life. We won't be around the bush. I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. It was very weird. Um, I was told things like, Satan, dinosaur bones exist because Satan buried them, buried them in the ground to trick us um, and things like that. And th- those are the things that I grew up believing. I uh, was lucky to find other weirdo people who would accept me for uh, who I was. Add that to the small town mentality, you find yourself very much on the outside. Girls of Little Hope very much has an outsider perspective all of these characters are outsiders in their own way even Shelley ray who you'd think would be one of the mean girls the popular girls is not she is outside looking in but you also talk about masking and dale i know that you you had an autism diagnosis a few years ago which has been life-changing for you and now you're proudly autistic you're creating a range of merch for the um, south african launch and uh, the money's going to help an autism charity can you tell yeah. us a bit more about that journey for you and um, and tell us about the cool t-shirts? Yeah, they are very, very cool t-shirts. Uh, Sam and I, from the very beginning, Sam said it would be so awesome to have a poster or something for Donna's band in the book, which is called The Nancy Screws. I desperately wanted that wish to come true. And I also wanted it to do some good. And uh, thankfully, those two things collided. <laughs> and... Um, it's not the best T-shirt in the world, but it is a T-shirt. Lies! It's amazing. It's the best. <laughs> uh, it's so, so I tapped into the 90s and uh, did that T-shirt. As, as far as my journey goes, it's very difficult to talk about without revealing pivotal yeah. twists in the book. Because what starts off as a, uh, what you would say is like a dateline, 24 hours, cliche, true crime, mystery with a little bit to it, goes in very strange directions. But if you do read the book, and um, we have spoken a little about this, about identity and um, not wanting to reveal your true self to the world, there is a fair amount of that in there. But going back to the beginning, as Sam said, we wanted to do, to do a book about the joy of the bonds of friendship. Mm-hmm. And how you can, um, I think Sam, Sam said you can hurt each other, you can wound each other, you can love each other, but somehow in the end, you will all end up together. We wanted to take these characters through a journey, a very horrible journey, but a journey nevertheless with that conclusion in mind. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think also, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, it's really a story of found family, you know, um, 
and family, it's not always, it's not always purely simple, you know, um, the relationship between these girls, but it's, it's the most kind of meaningful romance. And I think this is often true. And I remember growing up, one of the things that was so frustrating for me, it's slightly better now, was how there were so few novels where friendship was kind of the actual romance, you know, in the story. Like this is these, and, and, and in my life, it has been so true that my most kind of powerful, life-changing relationships have been non-romantic often, you know, like even, yeah. Um, so, you know, we're talking a lot about, um, about the power of friendship um, and that's great, but this is also, this is quite a dark novel. Um, I, you know, I'd, I'd say it's uh, certainly in the vein of something like Yellow Jackets, where there's a lot of 90s nostalgia, but there is, uh, it's about female friendship, but there is also some very dark and supernatural stuff happening as well. Can you talk a bit about how the story evolved? Uh, so, or, or just like tell us, so give us, give us the pitch. Like, so three girls go into the woods one day, these three teenage outcasts who found this kind of friendship together, go into the woods. What are they doing? Tell us about it. Okay. So it's a small town called Little Hope in 1996 in California. And when in, it is 1996 and you live in a small town and you've got nothing to do, what do you do? You mess around with your friends. And the way that Donna, Kath and Ray mess around is because Kath's such a Nancy Drew fan. Uh, they make zines is one of the things they do, but they also solve mysteries. They try and uncover all the little mysteries about their little town. And in investigating one of these mysteries, they stumble on something that is darker and scarier than they anticipated, which leads to all three girls going missing. And But the interesting thing is that where our story begins is actually where you would expect the story to end, which is that it begins on the day that two of the three girls walk out of the forest covered in blood, <laughs> and neither of them can or will say what has happened. So that's the mystery of the book is what happened to them and where is Kat? Where is their third friend? What has happened to her? And then the book sort of just starts in a space that feels kind of true crimey. And we had so much fun watching and deconstructing a bunch of true crime, but it, it quickly spirals sort of deeper and deeper into the dark and uncanny. There's a quote that I've always liked. It says, when the rug of reality is pulled from under your feet, you learn to dance on the shifting carpet. That's what we want to see these three characters do. One is to tell that story through their point of view. You don't know who is lying, who remembers what. That's part of the mystery. But as it, as it unfolds, you get to learn more about the character and you get to uncover things as, discover things and learn secrets as they uncover and learn the secrets. I have been very pleased to have my now that now that our friends, our other friends, have started reading the book. I uh, have so many people texting me going, "Oh my god, I couldn't sleep last night. Fuck you! <laughs> I kept thinking there was something by my bed." <laughs> I, I've been I, so pleased. I'm like, yes, suffer. <laughs> I am systematically traumatizing my mother because <laughs> her first night here, my mother is a huge horror fan. I made her watch Barbarian, and that also has a twist in it, uh, which I won't spoil, but it is uh, pretty terrifying. And then when she, uh, she read Girls a Little Hope, uh, I think she looks at me a little differently now <laughs> <laughs> with those, uh, what's wrong with you eyes? <laughs> I don't know if you get that, Sam. Totally, totally. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think horror has been such a big part of our friendship, all three of us, right? Like, yeah, um, I think we we all love a scare. We all love um, scaring each other and our friends. I mean, it's, it's something I actually like to talk about often is, um, oh, not often, but uh, after my dad died, it was obviously a very weird and difficult time. And one of the things I love is that the day after the funeral, how the two of you picked me up after kind of like one of the worst weeks of my life and you took me to Goldrie City and put me on roller coasters and you scared the crap out of me and it made me feel so much better. <laughs> it was we, did, we, like we did everything except thing. except the miners' revenge. That's that's yeah. what I remember. Refused. Um, yeah. But I think uh, there is something like I mean, I think we all grew up loving horror and I think yeah. we love how horror can be Lauren, you said the word, it can be exorcism of the negative and the dark things. And I think yes. you know, we we write about kind of deeply personal things from our own lives and yeah. And the darkness. I think Dale always likes to say this thing. What was the West Craven thing you love saying, Dale? I think about it all the time. The first monster you scare the audience with is yourself. And for me, that has been at the core of a lot of the stories that I am interested in. I think what's interesting for me is how horror can be so cathartic. And I think a lot of people feel this way about true crime as well. But I, I remember in the early days of, the, of kind of the lockdowns in the pandemic, I honestly, the only thing I could read was. I, I could only listen to horror audiobooks, and it just it just felt somehow that that incredible darkness and the creeping dread gave me a sense of relief because you know things might be bad, but at least I didn't have like monsters seeping through like the damp stains on the ceiling that were going to like gut me and slay me open. And um, you had literally just released a book that was yeah. about a global pandemic. Sure, <laughs> yes, absolutely, a witch, a literal witch, and you. <laughs> And Lauren still claims that that whole thing, the, the COVID was not an, a marketing campaign that got out of hand for Aftermath. Oh, not funny. <laughs> um, but Sam, I know you wanted to talk a bit about uh, how the pandemic affected the book or like how you felt about that. Can you say more? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of this weird thing because, I mean, Dale and I had started uh, working together on Girls of Little Hope and planning. We had a big cork board and we were, we were kind of working. We, were, working we went old school at first before the spreadsheets. Oh, big time before the spreadsheet queen got her got her messy spreadsheet hands all over the plot. And then I moved to the UK. And then almost immediately after I moved, literally like two weeks later, uh, the world shut down. Um, and it was terrifying and it was, you know, deeply traumatic. In the first yeah. days of the pandemic, obviously, like, no one knew exactly what would happen. You know, it felt like anything, this could be the end of the world, it felt like, for the first, mm -hmm. the first few weeks. And the big challenge, I mean, everyone I know, everyone went through things. And um, my experience of it was that I had just moved. My mom and my brother both got ill um, and both of them had underlying conditions that put them, made them very high risk. And I didn't know whether this was like a month into the past two, three weeks. Ago, I didn't know whether I should get on the plane and come home uh, because I knew one, I didn't know if I, how, if I would be able to see my partner again, basically, I didn't know if I'd ever be able to come back. I was undocumented technically because the home office shut down. And, and there was also that thing of like, I knew even if I came home, I would have had to go into a quarantine. I didn't know if I'd be able to get at home, get home in time. It was just this absolute kind of, you know, horrific thing as it was for everyone and people had much worse times than I did. And it was, but it was kind of like in this moment that I think uh, to distract myself at least, um, that's when Dale and I actually started really drafting Girls of Little Hope in earnest. 
And it was interesting. I mean, reflecting now, you know, I think at the time it just felt like a lifeline and it was just such a way, it was such a beautiful way. I was so isolated. I hadn't met a single person in the country I was living in because there was no way to do that. And it was a way for me to hang out with Dale as well and to spend time with Dale. But I've been reflecting since then on how all of that experience kind of shaped the novel as well. And the one thing is that, you know, it's it's a book about friendship, but the book about connection, you know, in, in this time when I felt so lonely and isolated. And it was also interesting being sort of time traveling back to the 90s because one of the things about the 90s is it was the last time teenagers were growing up not on the internet. Some, some, some were on the internet, but a lot of kids weren't really very connected. And it was the last time really when the borders of your world were the borders of your town. Like if you yeah. lived in a small town, you did actually live in a small town. Um, and you couldn't, you could only be friends with the people that lived in that town with you, which meant maybe you would end up being best friends with people who were very different to you. And I think it was interesting. I've now been reflecting on how probably a lot of those choices of going back to an analog time <laughs> also probably reflected just a craving because we were all stuck in our homes it, living in, as these disconnected digital avatars of ourselves. You know, how so much of the book is about themes of identity, of not actually knowing who you are, of feeling lost. Yeah. yeah. So it's been interesting because at the time I was like, this novel has nothing to do with, you know, COVID or, or pandemics, but it's funny how I think, you know, it was obviously, it was such an intense experience. I think it's probably shaped on some level, everything that everyone made during that period. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a subconscious magic which comes through in writing um, and you're always writing all of who you are. And that does come through on the page. Why the, okay, okay. So the nineties, I mean, I understand why the nineties, I said the shiny girls, uh, it ends in 1993 because I, exactly the same reasons I wanted to avoid the internet. But it was a very different time. Sam, you were quite young, but Dale, you and I are like proper Gen X 90s kids. Yeah. Why that decision? Why the 90s specifically? Why this year? Sam might have her own reasons. Um, <laughs> but for me, I thought about what was the scariest time in my life for me. And uh, going back to that Wes, Cra Wes Craven quote about uh, the first monster you scare the audience with is yourself. Um Pimply faced Dale came to mind. And um, kind of that's that's where I was interested in going and revisiting and exploring that part of myself. I think for the both of us, where we came from and how it shaped us into the people that we are now and um, what we learned about ourselves and how you eventually find yourself leads to epiphanies and so on. I think there is a monstrousness about being a teenager, about becoming, you know, it is this terrible in-between time and you don't know who you are yet. And I think the book also gets so much um, of that, of that kind of reality, of that kind of flailing and fear and horror as well. Sam, for you, like, what was it about the 90s? Dell's answer is amazing. Um, the, there was also kind of a very pragmatic reason that it happened, accidental reason as well, which was um, when we first started planning the book, uh, we were actually planning a comic series is kind of how we were first imagining it. And the point, the the main point of view character, uh, kind of in the in the the structure around that series was going to be it was going to be a true crime podcast, basically, and in the present day, and with a reporter kind of looking looking into some cold cases. So initially, it was going to be that. Uh, 
it was set in the present day about something that had happened a long time ago and you'd still be you'd be exploring the consequences and ramifications it's very hard for me to talk about this in a spoiler spoiler free way anyway yeah. <laughs> it was going to be like a parallel timeline story and then as we just started kind of really working through the mystery it just kept spiraling and becoming bigger and bigger and more and more interesting and very soon we realized one we were like we're actually just so much more interested in these characters than we are kind of some contemporary you know podcast host and we feel like we actually just want the time and space of a novel to really explore these people and the mystery they find themselves in. Yeah. So we ended up in the nineties, I guess. <laughs> and we were, very, I was very glad that we, we did, but yeah, I mean, I think absolutely all of Dale's stuff about, I think specific more for Dale than for me, that was the time of Dale's monstrous adolescence, as you say. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think you said um, at one point, we're more interested in exploring the, Twisted things teenagers do to themselves mm. uh, and to each other, but in a setting that we were both interested in exploring. Totally. Um, it, it does mean that there's a lot of really cool pop culture in the novel and also, as you said, zines. And also what I love about the book is it has all these kind of wild interstitial elements to it. And Dale, I think you did all the design on that. And so there are zines and there's like all kinds of like really, really cool interesting things newspaper articles absolutely yeah there's little handwritten notes that conspiracy each other back conspiracy truth of magazines yeah <laughs> back then conspiracies were innocuous and fun uh thus the x-files uh not the insidious poisonous things they are today uh, but it was fun going back there and exploring that so there was an amazing london launch party and um Sam had all this incredible, these incredible posters up and like she'd found all this ephemera from the book said in 1996. Is that right? Or 93, 96. So the book said in 1996 and Sam had found all this weird ephemera from 1996. <laughs> and it was horrifying to me to realize that Scream, the movie came out in 1996. Yeah. And, and, and there were like news stories. Uh, there was something about like Princess Diana and, and Charles Big Ears. Uh, Prince Charles with big, his big ears. Divorcing, yeah. Dolly the cloned sheep. Uh, like it was, yeah. it was a wild year. It was a time. Like, what were the highlights for you out of that year? What was nineteen ninety three for you? For me, uh, it's the memory that springs to mind first. It's not in the book at all. Is uh, Tomb Raider. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that's the year my younger sister and I discovered Tomb Raider, and uh, we played that to death. Um, that mm. that's when Tomb Raider was uh, was released. It was really fun for me because the nineties. I was growing up and I was a teenager in the two thousands. So the nineties was kind of already, you know, history for me. Um, <laughs> so wow, it was really interesting. Kind of kind of going to it was kind of new and interesting for me, and it was fascinating to learn how much of what is absolutely mainstream in our culture today is kind of a reverberation of things that were starting in the 90s in a lot of ways. So, you know, for example, we paged through like endless 90s magazines just to sort of really immerse ourselves in what was happening. And yeah. like I came across in a People magazine, for example, 1996, there's a whole article about Ivanka Trump, age 14, making her debut as a model. There's her father basically saying, oh, she's such a hottie, men's jaws just dropped to the floor about his 14-year-old daughter. And People Magazine, the journalist, the first line, it refers to her as a leggy nymphette. Again, a 14-year-old girl. And you're yeah. just like, 
and and you know this was just kind of just before the Monica Lewinsky stuff, but the kind of sexism and racism and messed up stuff that was just in mainstream culture everywhere that was in the water was so intense and so visible and clear you know in ways we haven't entirely it's not like we've fixed all these problems but it was just so obvious and so kind of there it was also just interesting then to really explore counterculture which is more what you two are into in the 90s but to me I was like oh this is so cool and retro (laughs) but I mean it was great sort of digging deep into zine culture um like punk grunge and all of the the cool music stuff it was just it was a cool time yeah i i remember uh there was a time where uh uh 90s music was majority the, the majority of it was male um well anyway the music that, that that i was into i remember when female led grunge rock different kinds of groups start getting airplay and um uh i was like wow um that's when i discovered babes in toyland which are very near and dear to my heart lauren you were asking me about uh natal south coast earlier that was one of the songs that was playing in the car as i was leaving the natal south coast the lyrics were uh this is not verbatim even though the sun is in my eyes i cannot see you but if i don't see you that'd be okay no stopping no stopping now a lot of fun and weird memories from that time. So I want to come back to the book. So you have these three main point of view characters, which are the girls. Uh, so it's Kat's diary. Um, and then we have Donna and Ray's peer- perspectives. But then we have a fourth POV character, which is uh, who is Mary Beth, who's the mom. Can you talk more about that character and why do you decided to include her? Um, and Sam, I know that there was also kind of a personal connection there for you as well. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Mary Beth was was great fun to write because she's one of these people who I think is just really underestimated by everyone you know she's someone she was a young mom um and now she she works as a cleaner for the local hotel um she she's very kind of hyper feminine in a way that also lets people write her off um and her backstory is that when she was when she was young she was in an incredibly abusive relationship which is kind of was with Cap's father he's he's dead by the time the, the novel begins and i think we learn more what we learn more about mary beth is that she she's a real survivor and she's tough and she because she's been through so much she's really really tough and yeah i mean i think a lot of that so you know in my family there were there were actually multiple women who had survived you know really abusive relationships uh, including my mom and you know i think one of the things about growing up in a family where other people have had those experiences is those things reverberate through families they reverberate that that kind of violence reverberates through generations um it it messes messes up obviously the people who survive it it has consequences in the wider family um i had a good chat with my mom actually about uh about that stuff in the book you know obviously i think she's been incredible just about never kind of hiding from me those parts of her her history you know one of the things she said was that she was really happy to see her experiences kind of informing this work you know because it felt like even though it took her a long time to sort of make meaning out of just the the violence and the and the experience that she'd gone through that meaning was being made out of it and it was potentially something that would help 
understand, other people understand, um, kind of maybe part of that experience. This book was really made out of friendship and out of love. And I think it was made, yeah, I mean, it was also, it felt like Dale and I made it as a gift for the people that we love, the people that we care about. Like Lauren, we're thrilled that you love it because you're one of the people we kind of made it for, you know, like we wanted you to love it. <laughs> it's, uh, and I think that's the only way that you can, you can make art, right? Is you make it as a gift out of love from your heart. And if, if for it to, to work and be moving, it means you often have to go and mine, mine the things that are the most true about your life, which are often the things that are the most difficult. I think what this book does so very well, and I think what a lot of very good horror does is it's just full of absolute recognition of the human condition. It's so full of heart. It really feels humane. It feels kind. It feels compassionate, even when you're taking us to those very dark places. And there's also a wit and a humor, which is just, it's a joy. Um, and then it's a horror and then it's a joy again. And it's, but it is wonderful that it is just such a human book. And I think, you know, if you like, if for people listening, if you like writers like Grady Hendrix or Paul Tremblay, it's very, or Stephen Graham Jones, it's very much in that kind of vein where it is, you will be hiding under the covers, but also just loving these people that you got to know and being afraid for them and wanting things to like turn out okay. And to go into those depths and that darkness, I think it's a very brave thing to do. Uh, and I think you've pulled it off so well. And I also think that like the best horror writers I know are also some of the kindest people. And I think maybe that's because we get that nasty shit out on the page and mm -hmm. we, and we process it and then we make it other people's problems by making them read it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's what Shirley Jackson said. <laughs> <laughs> take take the horror and put on put on this page. Put, put Absolutely, on, put on the page. Um, Dale, I know you you recently did uh like a you you put together a list of like ten horror movies you'd recommend if you like Girls of Little Hope. Uh, where can people find that, or do you want to run through them now, or is it too spoilery? Two quick things before I possibly yeah go for it. Power. I just want to thank you, Lauren, immensely for being our champion from the beginning. I you made it easy. I don't think we'd be where we are. We wouldn't be where we are without you. So thank you. And also to Sam for being there, not only throughout, but also at the end when she was writing a horror story and I was living a horror story. If it wasn't for her, there wouldn't be a book. Vice so versa. thank you, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you both. Yeah. So yeah, Dale, I think honestly, like this book is around because of both of you, because it is so fun and it is such a, it speaks to your friendship and to your own writing ability and your own weird minds. Thank you for writing such a freaking great book. When's the sequel, please? <laughs> well, I don't know if there's a sequel, but you know, one of the great things about working with a internationally award-winning designer, Dale Hobson, uh, is that we've created kind of a whole bunch of, of downloads and fun extra content that you can find on both of our websites, including the zine. There's a Spotify playlist full of 90s riot girl jams. And one of the amazing things that Dale has made is, as he said, the Nancy Screws t-shirt, band t-shirt. Another one. You, more, there, more. There is, there is a little Easter egg in this book for a potential future book that we're mm, talking about. Yes, writing. indeed. So maybe stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, so Girls of Little Hope written by Sam Beck Bessinger, Dale Halverson it's out but with Jonathan Ball in South Africa at all good bookstores and even the bad ones you can buy it online internationally it's available through Titan again at all the good and bad bookstores and the evil bookstores mediocre bookstores 
I don't think there's such a thing as a mediocre bookstore, but all the good bookstores, please go get it. It is such a ride. It is so fun. It is so sharp. It is so heartfelt and genuinely horrifying. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of PageCast. We love hearing from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, please contact us at pagecastpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep reading and listening.